Thank you, Court and Mike. Those guys are doing such a great job, especially uh, in their social media presence. Um, they're just all over the place, reaching out to your kids, creating Zoom times with them, posting stuff. Uh, it's just great. So if you're not following uh, MHCC kids and MHCC students uh, on their social media platforms, please do. Uh, hey, if you're watching us this morning and you haven't liked our Facebook page, I would really love for you to do that and turn on notifications. This way when we go live, uh, you'll be aware of it. I want to get started into a new series this morning. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, Winston Churchill, he, he uh, somewhat famously now quipped, never let a good crisis go to waste. Now, good isn't the word I would use to describe this current once-in-a-lifetime crisis, but it is a crisis. If you're like me, you're tired of hearing the stats and the numbers, and so I'm not going to go into them. But, but here's what I've been trying to do myself during this, this crisis, and as your pastor, I want to encourage you to join me in it. As much as I want things like you to go back to the way they were— I don't want to go back to the way I was, in a sense. Guys, this is, in many respects, a once-in-a-lifetime, whole-life um, disruption in, in the way we live. We have been given an opportunity to pause and to reflect in a pretty unique way. This week, I, I came across a great story from Jim Collins, who wrote the landmark book, Good to Great. And in it, he discusses what he calls the Stockdale Paradox. You can actually look up that term now. If you're not familiar with the term, it comes from something Admiral Jim Stockdale shared with him during an interview. Now, if you're under 40, you've probably never heard of Admiral Stockdale. If you're in your 40s or 50s, you might remember him as Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate in the early 90s. If you're a little bit older, you're probably aware of the general's really heroic backstory. Jim Stockdale is the highest-ranking U.S. military officer ever to be imprisoned at the infamous Hanoi Hilton. For eight years during the Vietnam War, he was held up as a prisoner there. He was tortured over 20 times because he refused to participate in a North Vietnamese propaganda campaign. In fact, he went up disfiguring his own face so they wouldn't put him on camera. And so Collins, as part of his research, asked him, how does one survive eight years in a prisoner of war camp? And I think his answer is, is one that you and I need to consider as we find ourselves holed up in our own little prison, prisons uh, of our houses. He said, what got him through was, quote, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Folks, never waste a good crisis. And so Collins asked him, if that's how you made it out, then who didn't make it out? His counterintuitive answer? Oh, that's easy, he said, the optimists. The optimists, Collins said, I don't understand. The optimists, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and, and Christmas would go, and and then they'd say, well, we'll be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and, and then it would be Christmas again, and, and eventually they died of a broken heart. And with that, he introduced the paradox to which his name has become attached, a paradox we're going to be exploring over the coming weeks. 
Here it is, quote, you must never confuse faith that you'll prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Guys, is it possible? Is it possible that you make it out of quarantine the same way you make it out of a prison camp? Because it seems to me we have a choice. We can either wish this whole thing away. That probably sounded familiar, right? It did to me. I mean, first it was going to be over in a couple weeks, and then it was going to be by Easter, and now it's the 15th. Maybe it'll be Memorial Day, and hopefully everything will just go right back to the way it was. Or, as Stockdale said, we can be disciplined enough to confront our own realities, brutal as some of them may be. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in the city of Ephesus. See then, he said, that you walk circumspectly, in a sense with reflection, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk circumspectly, redeem the time. So what are we going to do? We are going to redeem the quarantine. How? Well, we're going to look at how we walk. We're going to look circumspectly at our lives. We're going to open ourselves up a little bit for examination, if you will. Now, is this going to be comfortable? Oh, probably not. That's why we often choose to avoid self-reflection in our hurried lives. Yet, we are commanded on more than one occasion by both Peter, you remember Peter, walk on water, Peter, I'll never deny you, Peter, that Peter. He wrote, in a sense, concerning our walks, that we should make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Paul put it simpler. He told the Ephesians to examine yourselves and see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So let's get at it. Let's get started. In order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to go all the way back to the beginning to understand what it is that keeps us, maybe more than any other thing, from examining ourselves, from, from being truthful with ourselves. Because if we don't examine ourselves, and if we aren't honest with ourselves, even if the reality is a little brutal, then we're likely going to emerge from quarantine the same way we went in. I'm going to start it this way. I'm going to tell you up front what my point is. Do you know what the number one adversary to change is in your life? The number one thing that will keep you uh, from coming out post-quarantine different than you went in pre-quarantine? Well, here's how Moses paints that picture. In the story of, well, in our story, in the creation story, he writes that God said, let us, I love this, way before Jesus is prophesied about, long before he appears, way before the Holy Spirit falls on the church, you see God revealing himself as an us. Let us make mankind in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so here you have God creating mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. And so it was for a time. Man created in the image of God for the purposes of God, dwelt in peace and in harmony with God and all of creation. God had given it all to us with, with the purpose of ruling and reigning over it with him. 
we had this purpose. And we only had one rule, just one command. Long before there was ten commandments, that wasn't going to come for some time. There was only one. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. Now, why, God, this just one rule? Uh, the truth is, theologians have been debating that forever. But for now, let's just use the, the, the line so many of us have used with our kids uh, who don't understand everything yet. Why? Well, because God said so is why. And not unlike our kids, these first ancestors of ours, when confronted with just this one thing they weren't supposed to do, well, they did the one thing. They were confronted with one choice, the same choice that you and I honestly, if we're just honest about it, we're confronted with it daily. Their choice was to let God be God or to let me be God. Their choice was to trust Him, to follow Him, to listen to Him, to rest in Him. Or, as Moses writes, the temptation went, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. See, they face the same choice that daily you and I face. Trust, follow, listen, rest, or take control myself. And they chose what we choose. This is the first sin recorded in the Scriptures, but it is at one level the same sin which exploded out of the garden into all of humanity. Now, that word sin, if, if, you have, if you've been in church in a while, it carries with it a lot of baggage, I know, but, but sin simply in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for it there, simply means this, missing the mark established by God. They missed the mark. We miss it. We've all missed it. We all do miss it, and we all will continue to miss it, because within each of us, just like our fathers and mothers before us, beats this heart of rebellion. But here's what I want you to see. Just as we share in the struggle of sin, missing the mark, choosing to be our own gods, doing what it is that we want to do, we also share in the the response to sin. Moses writes that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, because she thought she could be like God, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And there is so much more meaning there than just mere clothing. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And guys, you know, we've been covering ourselves up. We've been hiding ourselves from one another and and putting on outward appearances ever since. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now stick with the story, okay? This very first sin and every sin since, every time we've missed the mark, every time we've made the poor choice, every time we've gone where... We shouldn't have gone every time we've done what we shouldn't have done. Every time we've taken what we shouldn't have taken, we've been with who we shouldn't have been with. Our bad choices come with them. What comes with them are two inclinations, things that we do. Here's the first. The first is to hide or to cover up. This is why you rush to the mailbox to get the bill before he sees it. 
This is why we erase our browser histories before she finds out. This is why we love Snapchat and we hate screenshots. See, we hide from one another. We put on airs, we beef up resumes, we cinch up our spanks, and then we hide from God. You know this, you've experienced this. This is why it's hard to pray when you're fighting with your wife. This is why people do two things. I've noticed over time being a pastor, two things tend to happen when people start, start into an affair. They immediately start losing weight, and then they stop going to church. They hide. See, these are experiential truths for us. We know we hide from one another. We know we hide from God. But I'm going to give you the third person we hide from, which might be the most consequential in the long term for us. We hide from ourselves. This is the reason why when I say we're going to take a look on our own uh, hoods for a bit, we're going to examine ourselves for a while, this is why there's something deep inside of us that says, run. Don't do that. I'm fine. John, I'm sitting here next to my wife. Can't we just read the Bible a bit? I mean, sure, we could read the Bible a bit, but you need to know it's the writer of those books and letters in the Bible which command you and I to do this, to stop hiding and to examine ourselves. In fact, Peter, right before he writes, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, he tells us what to look for. To, to see how we're doing. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Guys, I have now been quarantined for five plus weeks with six people, two dogs, and one very annoying bird. And here's what I've learned. I need to work on goodness and self-control and mutual affection and love. And yet, even when I say these things to you, there's a piece in me that goes, well, mutual affection, mutual affection, John, that's not just on you. You know, Joan needs to work on that. The kids need to figure that out. I mean, John, you know, it's not your fault if they would just stop fighting with one another, if, if they would just pick up their clothes, if they would just put their dishes in the dishwasher. And so, friends, welcome to the second thing we do after we miss the mark. First, we hide. But then comes the untransformed man's greatest weapon, the biggest tool in his toolkit, the ultimate pair of spiritual spanks. We blame. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I, I, I heard you in the garden. I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? As we've joked here in the past, this is what the man didn't say. Yes, I did. I, God, I made a horrible choice. And as I've had time to reflect on this here in the bushes, examining myself, confirming my calling, what, what I realized, God, is that what caused me to do this was a deep-seated need to be my own God and, and not to trust you in your ways. You know what, God? I did this. I did it. I made the choice. In fact, God, as the man of this garden, I should have helped Eve make a better choice. God, you should forgive her. My bad. I take full responsibility for everything that happened. Eh, do with me what you may. I am ready to face the necessary consequences for my bad decision and wayward heart. Yeah, 
That's not what he said. That's not what I would have said either. The man said, yeah, that woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. I mean, God, whoa, 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 God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. And that I've had some time to reflect in the trees here, God. It was you who put this chick in the garden with me. So it's her fault, and it's your fault too. In fact, God, as I reflect on the situ situation, I've had some time here in the bushes, it occurs to me the only one that's not to blame here is me. It's her fault, and it's your fault. And then the Lord God said to the woman, uh, what is this that you've done? And of course, staying true to our pattern, the woman said, well, uh, the serpent, it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. God, forget what Adam said. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. He's the one to blame. And you know, God, as I've been sitting here in the bushes, I've been starting to think about this. Who put this dumb serpent in the garden anyway? You're supposed to be all-knowing. See, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. And God, you should have known better too. See, here's the deal. This, this, is, this is a story that literally is as old as time. Let me string together the, what's happening. You and I have been given a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where everything in our lives, our routines, our jobs, our securities, the things we look to for our identities, the, the, the things we hide behind, the, the things that we once trusted for our security, all of them have either vanished or been disrupted. And if we're going to use this opportunity, which will not come around again, if we're going to use it, as Stockdale said, and turn this experience into a defining event that we wouldn't trade, that needs to begin with examining ourselves, evaluating ourselves relative to the mark. I mean, asking difficult questions like, how are we doing on things like love and patience, kindness and goodness, envy and jealousy, anger and pride? And, and, and here's, the, here's the thing, guys. The number one thing that will keep us from coming out of quarantine, a different, a better, a more Christ-like person than the one that went into quarantine is one thing. Blame. Blame. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's his fault, her fault, their fault. The reason this marriage stinks is because all he does is work. The, well, the reason I can't pay my credit card bill is that all she does is shop. The reason my kids can't stand me is because, well, they, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want me to correct them. Guys, blame for us. Blame for us is as natural as breathing. You know, I breathe about 25,000 times a day, and I've never once stopped to think about it. It just happens. It just comes out of me. So does blame. You want to know what I'm talking about? We're going to play a little game here, a little social experiment. As you're sitting on your couch at home with your coffee, maybe your eggs, watching church this morning, I want you to turn to those in the room with you and ask them if they would tell you just one thing that they would like you to stop doing. All right, I'm going to give you a minute, so go ahead and, and start to ask some folks in the room there, what is one thing you would like me to stop doing? Go ahead, I'll wait. You know, actually, hold on, it, it occurs to me. Since I'm here and I'm not home, it's very important to me that my wife and kids, don't, that they not miss out on this valuable teaching too. So for you guys at home, just now, hon, this is just for your sake and for your benefit. 
So you can see, too, how this feels. I wouldn't want to leave my family out. Um, I'll give you guys a couple of things I wish you would stop. Joan, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to dig deep, hon, but I don't know. Maybe you could stop leaving the curling iron cord all wrapped up in the hair dryer cord. Because, I mean, (laughs) just about every day I, I pick the hair dryer up and the stupid curling iron falls on my bare foot. I mean, you know, uh, Courtney, oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you. But just, I mean, if I was just going to come up with something to ask you to to maybe stop, uh, could I ask you, Court, would would you stop evaluating every piece of clothing I put on and and telling me that it doesn't match or or that my zipper is open or that I need to trim my eyebrows? Now, I could continue on, but as it is, I might be coming home to a locked door and a suitcase on the lawn. But I wanted you to get a sense of the feeling. Because, you know, Blame's first cousin cousin is the what about you response. Oh, yeah, what about you? What about you that that leaves uh, your retainer trays all over over the counter in the bathroom? Uh, What about you, Dad, that doesn't let me wear out what I... Remember when I was a kid, you wouldn't let me wear... See, what about you is just kind of the other side of blame. See, this is quite natural. You feel that rising inside of you. You don't need to think about it. It just comes. And if we don't stop the blame game, we're going to continue to drag all of our pre-quarantine hurts and hang-ups and habits, we're going to drag them all into our post-quarantine lives. Jude, the younger brother of Jesus, had us pegged when he wrote that these people are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They they boast about themselves, and they flatter others for their own advantage. And see, here's the thing about blame. The reason it comes so naturally is that in many ways, the stories are true. I mean, look, you're probably right. The marriage does stink at one level or another because he does work too much. But what about your role in it? Uh, You're right. The reason that you're in debt up to your eyeballs is all she does do is spend. But don't you have any responsibility in terms of finances and and the budget? I'm I'm certain your children needed the correction, but but your tone and and the persistence with which you've done it, do, do you have anything to do with them not calling? See, the problem, guys, is when we keep telling ourselves these blame stories over time, we start to believe them. But the truth is that it is rarely, if ever, only their fault. A number of years ago, uh, in, in my life, things had started to go a little bit sideways. I, I, I was getting blamed for some stuff I didn't do. My motives were being impugned. My reputation was getting hammered a little bit. And, and to be quite frank, I, I wasn't taking it all that well. The truth is that I didn't do what I was being accused of doing. The story was out there, but it wasn't real. It wasn't the real story like at all. And and so I was getting pretty angry and frustrated. Honestly, there's a part of me that either just wanted to pick my ball up and go home, just quit and go away for a while. There was also another part of me that wanted to get even. And so I was talking to my brother-in-law, kind of a spiritually mature guy, and I, I was sharing the story with him, and, and, and he understood it. But then at the end, he said, John, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think everything that you've said is true, and that's probably 90 or 95% of the story. 
but you've got to own some of it. Don't you have any responsibility here? And he challenged me. He said, I want you to ask God what role you played in it, and then I want you to write down what he said. And I did that. I'm not going to tell you what I wrote down, <laughs> but I did it. It was painful, a little embarrassing, but I'll tell you what, it changed the way I relate to others now. See, in order to ensure your negative history doesn't repeat itself, you've got to own your role in your negative history. You have to pause long enough, and we've been given a long enough pause to actually take stock and own our share. What was your fault? What did you do? What could you have done? Why didn't you leave? How come you haven't stood up? Andy Stanley's got a great line about this. He says, you make peace with the past by owning your peace of your past. And so during this series, I'm going to be giving you some homework, some, some stuff to think about in quarantine. I'm going to call them uh, quarantine tips or Q-tips for short. And so Q-tip one, well, it's that you make peace with the past by owning your peace of your past. So what I want you to do, what I'd love for you to do, if you really want to come out better from quarantine than you went in, I want you this week, could be this afternoon, could be tomorrow morning, but do it by lunchtime tomorrow. Make a promise to yourself. I want you to write down on a piece of paper three messes, three things that you wish weren't so. I want you to write one down relationally. I don't know if it's a broken relationship, if it's um, you know, divorce, you, you think about it. Uh, I want you to write one down financially, a, a financial mess that you're in or have been in, and then I want you to write down a, a mess professionally. Now, now, I want you guys to dig a bit. I want you to reflect a little bit, right? I want you to find, see, when you find the one that, that hurts, uh, that might be a little embarrassing, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. I, I want you to write that down. And then, Here's what I want you to write down underneath it. I want you to write down your part in it. I don't want you just to think about it or say it. I want you to write it down, your role. Paul tells us that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we need to rethink things. What role did you play? What was your part in that story, that mess, that meltdown? Guys, if you'll do this, I can promise you three results. The first is, it's going to help you in, in, ensure that you don't drag the dysfunction of your past and your, your pre-quarantine days into your post-quarantine days. The second, the second is so profound. The second is, it's going to help you find grace and forgiveness for the person who maybe is 90% at fault. You see, grudges start to drop, walls begin to come down, mercy begins to flow, and forgiveness comes when we own our part of the story first. And then the third thing I want you to do is to confess your part. Would it be best to confess to someone you've slighted? Sure. But I, 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 don't, I don't know how safe that is for you. I don't know if you're ready to do that. That would be probably the, the best, but, but here's kind of a, here's a good alternative. Confess it to God, write it down, and confess it to God, and ask Him to forgive you for it. Ask Him to help you change. This is what John was speaking of when he said, this is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. 
So if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He concludes this way. This is important for us to hear. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, and this is not just a general confession. This is like for these specific things this week. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by the way, guys, as this becomes habit over time, as you begin in messes to start to look for your role and to confess it, to, to own up to your bad in the story, here's the other thing it's going to do for you. It is going to help you to grow in, in the experience of and in the, in the awareness of the love that God has for you. You will begin to experience Him in ways you never have before. You know why? Because at one level, it's really hard to appreciate and bask in the love of a God who died for your sins if you're not all that familiar with your sins. And so, Mendham, let's get to work. Let's come out of hiding. Let's drop the spiritual spanks. We'll get into some specifics starting next week. But we can't do that until we're willing to, to own up to our stories, all of our stories. And as you do... May the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. The stuff that you write down, the things that are behind those things, see, those are the things that Christ died for. They're not who you are. Don't beat yourself up over them. But also, don't allow yourself to repeat them over and over and over. Refuse this week to play the blame game, Mendham. And I will see you right back here for step two next week.